Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you are a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We'll also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. After experiencing years of incredible conversations about primary education, I am excited to share these podcasts with you to develop the primary conversation further and to get to know more about the wonderful voices in primary education. This week, listeners, we sit down with someone who I've been waiting for and looking forward to be talking to on this podcast for quite a while. We sit down with Chris Dyson. Um, many of you will probably know Chris on, on Twitter. Um, he has a lot of great things to share. He is very influential and, and inspirational with the things that he shares. Uh, and he just loves sharing the great things that are happening in his school in Parkland in Leeds. Um, I'll be honest with you, and you've probably seen by the timestamp on this uh, podcast, it is a long one. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we were talking for quite a long time, uh, Chris and I. Um, but to, you know, to be honest, it was all incredible stuff and I didn't want to cut the conversation short and I certainly didn't want to edit out any of the wonderful conversation that we had. There was a little frustration on my part. There was a bit uh, in our conversation, particularly around the uh, the times table section, which was really disappointing, that the audio started to fail on us on Zoom. Chris did get cut out uh, for a minute as well. I think we've managed to keep and, and preserve most of that conversation. Uh, but, you know, the vast majority of this conversation, though, was, was fine uh, with the audio. And so I hope you do enjoy this. Uh, do settle back. This will probably take you uh, more than your Monday commute uh, to and from work uh, to listen to this. Maybe a Tuesday as well, or maybe a Wednesday, depending. On the, on the length of your of your commute uh, but it was certainly a, a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it so sit back and listen to the teacher at primary education voice of Chris Dyson oh and before we dive into the episode uh, just a late minute uh, editing that we need to do here uh, Chris did want me to let you know as well that uh, as part of his uh, funny story which he, uh, he which he came up with on the spot which I was pretty impressed with uh, he forgot one very important detail and that was the clocks going forward an hour. Uh, listen to the funny story and you'll see exactly what I mean. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Chris Dyson. How are you doing today, Chris? Absolutely beautiful, thank you. Midway through the Easter holidays, we've still got a week to go. Uh, I know that half the schools are going back on Monday but the extra week that we had to put in means that we get to experience outdoor eating in this lovely weather. And it's currently here in Pudsey, it's uh, absolutely piling down with snow. So that'll be nice and interesting next week. I know. It, it's been bizarre this holiday. My birthday was on Tuesday and it snowed outside the window like most of the day. It was really weird. <laughs> but we're enjoying it though. <laughs> right. That's it. Well, we're going to go first of all for the first five minutes or so with some quick fire questions. And so these questions, uh, if you can answer them as succinctly as you can, they're to get a bit of a background and a context about you, Chris Dyson. Is that okay? Perfect. Fantastic. Okay. So the first question, Chris, is what is your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Chris Dyson HT. Fantastic. That's brilliant. So if anyone is listening, they can uh, make sure they follow you and hear some of the great ideas you've got to share with us. Uh, how many years have you been in primary education? 25. 25 years. That's fantastic. That's, that's an anniversary year, that. 
quarter of a century. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, what has been your primary journey so far? So in those 25 years, what roles have you had? What, where have you gone from, from then to now? So I started off uh, as a good old PE coordinator because sport is something that's always been so precious to me and so valuable to me. Um, then I was a DT coordinator, which didn't go quite as well. Um, and um, after being quite successful at, um, uh, in PE and DT, I was always aiming to get the maths coordinator's role. And that opportunity came when I, I moved from lovely Newcastle Underline, which is in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, up to York, where I became a, a, a maths coordinator and a PE coordinator again. That was at a school called Poppleton Road uh, in York. Probably my favourite school, Bar Parklands, because you know I didn't have a lot of friends who were teachers. Most of my friends were sort of from the football teams that I played for, so there were plumbers and there were brickies and there were uh, bookies and all things like that. Car mechanics, which meant when my car broke down, that was quite great. <laughs> um, so I used to spend every single night, five nights a week, doing after-school clubs uh, with children from skipping club. I could do the double dutch. I could do everything. Uh, the football clubs and things, the cricket club, rounders clubs. Um, and that taught me from sort of day one how you can build relationships and how you can build communities because, you know, it was, the kids could really appreciate the giving. Mm -hmm. Now, the paperwork's got so much nowadays that there's not as many after-school clubs going on as, as there were when I started my journey back in 93 and 94. Um, everything came through school sport back in the sort of 90s. But as times have changed, a lot of the sport now comes through uh, cricket clubs, football clubs, football academies that are sprouting up absolutely everywhere. So that was probably my happiest time because I didn't have all the stress of being on the senior leadership team or anything like that. Um, and then my head teacher at Poppleton Road got a job over in Leeds uh, and I was offered the opportunity to go to Japan in 2002 for the World Cup. Um, and... I couldn't get, uh, I couldn't, I wanted a year off to go traveling. I was 32 and I thought, I've done a nice little nine years, go traveling around the world now, but my school turned me down, which saddened me. Mm. Uh, but then my old head that had moved to Leeds found out, I was a good bachelor boy then as well, so I didn't have any ties or anything. And she said, Oh, why don't you come over to, to Leeds and work in Leeds when you get back? Uh, and this was an informal chat, and then they ran me up later. She said, We'd love to offer you the job of uh, head of Key Stage 2. And I thought, I didn't even know I'd had an interview. So that was funny. So I moved to uh, I moved to Five Lanes Primary in, in Leeds, in Workley. Um, and, you know, having that year out really refreshed me, really charged my batteries and things. Uh, and I was so pleased that in 2004, I won Teacher of the Year, um, which was fantastic. Um, and one of the little girls, funny enough, in my class when I won that, is now my maths coordinator at Parklands Primary School. Wow. Uh, so she's seen that full sort of journey. Um so um, I became assistant head at that school and then I got the opportunity to be a, a deputy head uh, in Beeston. And the reason why I loved going to Beeston is because one lack of sort of experience that I've had in my career was a lack of teaching EAL children. So I went to a school with 80% uh, Muslim children. And that, again, showed me what an ultimate work ethic these children had. You know, these wanted to make a difference. They had real support from the families and things. Uh, so I, I stayed there for three years before I moved to another deputy head position in a really deprived area of Leeds called Hawksworth Wood. Um, and I stayed there for eight years and I was part of the team that took the school from sort of inadequate uh, special measures as it were there, as it was then. 
Um, and we managed to, we were gutted when we only got a good. And isn't that great when you're gutted you only got a good? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I thought, I thought, I can't wait another five years for another Ofsted. I'm going to have to move now into a headship. Uh, and I got the opportunity at uh, Parklands Primary School in Seacroft. I had no chance of getting it, to be fair, because the school improvement advisors and the governors had offered a, a 25%, basically 25 grand uh, bonus to get an established head in there. But luckily enough for me, nobody applied for the job because the school had had five head teachers in the same year, wow. uh, 150 exclusions. Uh, so it was basically, you can't go to that school. For your first headship, it's far too big a job. But I've challenged kids all my life. I've, I've had a challenge, I had a challenging upbringing myself. I didn't have a father when I, when I grew up. Uh, I had a mum and a brother and a sister. I didn't have hardly anything as a child. And it's great when you sort of look back because that old saying, it's not the presents you've got under the tree, it's the people around the tree that count. Because mm. we were just brought up on love, you know, having one little present a year, and but we were really together and sort of really strong. So when I came into Parklands, I could really, I could really sort of thought I can really help this school because these kids have got nothing. It's the most deprived primary school in Leeds. Um it's got 78% pupil premium. It's got high deprivation, high crimes, you know. And I thought, these kids have got what I had when I had when I was growing up. They've just got love and they've just got the family. So I can really make an impact on this school. And that was seven years ago. The local authority graded the school uh, inadequate, which, again, I loved because it meant that uh, I got 20 hours extra support from the authority. And I've always wanted help. I've always... I've never been one to say, this is the way to do it. I've always listened, you know. Uh, and after three years of being there, Ofsted came in uh, and it was so beautiful. I thought, this must be going well as I'm doing an assembly because I wanted to take pressure off my staff and things. And I'm doing assembly and I'm playing uh, I'm playing Sweet Caroline um, on full volume, on volume 11. If you listen to Spinal Tap, it's not on 10, it's on 11. And when you've got four Ofsted inspectors stood up at the back of your hall going, this is going quite well I'm quite liking this Um, but then at at ten past one it's going to be hard this five minutes isn't it Um, but then at half past one they pulled me and they said look you're so close to being outstanding you're so close but you're just going to miss it Uh, we've just got your books left to look through she said but we don't want you to be disappointed and I thought I'm not disappointed you know after day one they said you can either take your good now or we can come back tomorrow and you can try selling us your outstanding. And again, the staff weren't very happy with that when I said, come back tomorrow, <laughs> come back in. They were like, oh, great. <laughs> but, but I've always had lovely positive experiences with uh, Ofsted. And as I said, between half past one and quarter to three, when they looked through those books, whatever they saw, when they brought us back in, and I remember sat around the table and they said, we're awarding you an outstanding grade. You know, it, tears sort of built up like, when my when my first child was born and things, mm. and it was testimony to all those teachers that when I took over, that as I said, the authority had deemed inadequate. It was going to be academized as soon as uh, Ofsted came in, and it was the same staff that thought they were the lowest of the low, the dirt on the bottom of your shoe, and it was the same staff, bar two, uh, that I brought in myself that got that outstanding grade. So it was for those, and it was for my chair of governors as well. My chair of governors have been chair at my school for 33 years, 
not just a governor, he'd been chair of governance for 33 years. And given most of my staff were in the late 20s, early 30s, they, they were even born when he took over. <laughs> so that was real testimony to him and all the love and support that he'd done and things. So Amazing. What a journey. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. And I hope that, uh, you know, in the time that we have, we can try and get to the bottom of these things that just have, you're really passionate about that have really driven that improvement. Um, honestly, that's a fantastic journey. Thank you. Um, what is your favourite subject, Chris? I failed my GCSE maths uh, when I first did it. And I look back and I unpicked back to my primary school days and my high school days. And I just remember being shouted at if I couldn't do subtractions. I didn't understand how you exchanged and things. And I remember just being, oh, why can't you just put... And I, I used to get... I used to think, right, if I ever, I become a teacher of maths, I'm going to know how to deliver this to, 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 to people. Because if you don't know, you need it explaining, you need it modelling and things. So so basically, when I started my PGCE, uh, everybody on the course said, you've got to do PE. And I said, why do I have to do PE? Because you play football at a great standard. You, play, you get paid to play cricket, you know. So, and I thought... I know I can do that, but I want to do something different. Mm. And I suppose I always looked at the longevity of my career and I thought, you know, it's back to that uh, Jack Black sort of film, School of Rock. There's those that, there's those that can't teach and those that can't teach, teach PE <laughs> and things. So I thought, I need to get myself a core subject that I can really get my, my teeth around. You know, and primary maths, you know, anybody can conquer sort of that. So in answer to your question, which only took 10 minutes to answer on this one, uh, it's maths closely followed by PE. Excellent. So, would you say just um, I, I'm I'm you know making this take longer now with this follow up question, but I want to have to find out. So, would you say it's maths because it was again a challenge for you and it's something you overcame that you're now that you're better at? Definitely. So, you know, I could see problems that children were having. I knew how I could get them to apply the sort of methodology behind them. Uh, and then right back on in my PGC in 1992, I saw I was in a school once and I saw them doing these times tables. And I thought, I can take that idea and I can innovate it and I can make it into a really funny and interactive game. So I know we're talking about times tables sort of later. Uh, but I brought a sense of competition in, mm. you know, and the, the kids really responded to it. And when you've got, irrespective of what you think about this knowledge-based curriculum, practical, you know, which, whichever way you want to go, the quite simple fact is when you've got these times tables in your head, it means division, fractions, and all those other things come so easily. You know, so I started off as a classroom teacher just doing it on my own, and then I became a key stage leader and put it all through the key stage two. And then when I became head, I stuck it right down to year one. And when I say now that my six-year-olds and my five-year-olds in year one are blitzing out the 12 times tables as quick as I can click my fingers, that adds a wow factor. And it adds an extra wow factor because it's in one of the most deprived schools in the country where you don't expect to see that mm. whatsoever. But we'll come back onto that later. Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Um, okay. I'm going to move on to my last of the quick fire questions. Uh, if you had to, or if you already do, you can pick one that you already do. What would be an after school club that you would love to run you have to pick one football brings together teamwork teaches you how to lose with grace and, and win with grace and it gives you respect as well uh, one of my best preps for being a head teacher was I ran Pudgy Juniors from under fours all the way up to under 14s 
you know, and it taught me how to deal with parents who thought the pet, the, the child was going to be the next Wayne Rooney, as it were, at the time and things. Yeah, yeah. It taught me how to deal with children who suddenly, at five, six, seven, eight years old, were giving mouth off to the referee. I never had any of that while well, I ran a team for 11 years. Anybody ever said anything to the ref, I took them off, you know. Uh, I nurtured the children. I, I had, at one point, 46 players in my squad. Uh, because I didn't want anybody missing out. So I had my A-team squad that won absolutely everything in the Huddersfield League. I had my B-team squad that won practically everything in the Division 2 of the Huddersfield League. But then I had my, my C-team and my D-team squad, which were kids who just wanted to be outside with their mates in the fresh air playing. They didn't care if they lost 10-0. They didn't care if they won 5-0. So running four teams, you know, it, it meant basically I was out of the house from half past eight on a, on a Sunday morning through till three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And the and the sort of the nurture I mean, my lad now plays at under eighteen level, you know, and it still it still plays with the same sort of lads that he plays sort of with. And when we play against the opposition now, I think some of my ex players, it's brilliant. They all come up, say hello if you know what I mean. Because I had them when they were when they were this, this little big. Hmm. You know, you can't we're doing this live on Zoom now, so you can't <laughs> see my hands, but yeah. they were little four year olds. And now they're bigger than me, there's some have got beards, you know, and it's <laughs> like I'm glad I got them with them so well. But as I said as a learning curve to to sort of my headship, dealing with all those things and setting a standard for those children. Because now when you see these kids playing under 18, it's brilliant. The referee gives a decision, irrespective if the ref's right or wrong, you know, they just stand up, move away, walk away. And it's, it's absolutely a pleasure. So if I had to pick one after school club, it'd have to be football because that was me, me love as a little child and the love when I first came into teaching. Excellent. It's good. And like you say, those relationships with the kids are just strengthened even more through those, through those experiences. That's great. Well, we're, we're to the end of our oh. quick fire questions there. <laughs> so uh, we, we did pretty well. That's only taking, that's only taking half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, mean, I think this is why it's great, Matt, because Matt gave me the option of sending the questions through beforehand. And I said, no, I like to give honest answers straight from the heart as opposed to writing things down and then sort of studying it and things so and that's why i love like podcasts like this yeah honesty from the heart that's great it's what we want so let's move into our main questions then so obviously like you just mentioned uh, listeners know that usually people know these questions but you don't except for the primary three so the next couple again you're not sh- you don't know but we'll still go through them and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this so what uh, chris inspired you from the very beginning to become involved in primary education because as a child, as I said, uh, we didn't have a lot growing up. I had a football. I had a football and I had outside. I could climb trees. You know, I could play with a ball with mates in the summer. You know, get a, a tennis ball. Even now, wherever I go in life, I have a tennis ball in every single coat pack, pocket and jacket pocket that I've got. So if you're in an airport with your young ones and you've got a lovely eight-year-old and things now, just put a tennis ball out. It's so entertaining, mm. you know. In a supermarket, so entertaining. So all my life sort of growing up was just the six weeks holiday I lived for. I'd be out of the house at nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock. Now, I know that the traditional answer, I'm sure on a lot of your podcasts, people will say, I want to make a difference. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to do this. But I honestly started panicking when I got to up towards 16, 17 and 18 when I was doing A-levels thinking, what am I going to do when I end up getting a job and I get four weeks holiday a year. And I thought, teaching, teaching, <laughs> 38 weeks a year. That means I've got 
I've got 35, I've got 14 weeks, you know, and I keep my six weeks summer holiday so I can still be playing football. It's like that Alan Olberg uh, poem uh, about my life is just like a ball and it's, you know, that's all I was interested in. And, you know, a tennis ball, a football, cheap as chips. I didn't get brought up on computer games. I never had a Nintendo. I never had a ZX Spectrum for the people who were around in the 80s. I never had a Game Boy. I'm the world's worst computer player you will ever, ever see. You know, even if I play my lad at FIFA now, I can be Barcelona and he can be Accrington Stanley and I'll still lose 10 nil. So I was brought up outside. So the real reason why I wanted to go into teaching was I just needed to keep that six weeks of my holiday. And, of course, now I'm a father with three lovely children. It means that that's six weeks. I'm there all the time mm. and things. So there we go. I a different it. answer to, to what you may have expected. I love it. I love it. It is the first time we've had that answer, which is literally the holidays. And I love how, you know, and I, do you know, at that point you make at the end, though, about family and being there with your kids, you know, I... Whilst we obviously in, in primary education, you know, we have people that have wanted to be teachers. And like you've mentioned so far, we've had some teacher, teachers that didn't know they wanted to do it until they got into the classroom and then they loved it. Um, you've got some teachers that have wanted to do it since they were young and had the, the dolls all around and had, you know, the clipboard register and all that kind of thing. Um, but actually, the idea that you can actually be with your family during those wonderful holidays is a real blessing and obviously like like we said and we, we've talked about before often you are working at times through those holidays but you can work around your family and i think that's you know a really important part so i love that honesty there i mean one of the one of the one of the best things one of the best things i ever did matt was uh was as i said parklands where i work is one of the most deprived schools in the country it's on an estate where nobody comes in nobody goes out uh and i took my daughter there I brought my own daughter in there and we're, we're going to be talking about communities sort of later on. Mm. And the impact of having your own daughter come into your school for that community because they suddenly stopped, stopped, collaborated and listened, thinking he must be serious about what he's saying about this school if he's brought his own child here. Mm. So she was at my school from year three through to year six. So I had the most four best years of my life, being able to take her to school every morning, see her pottering mm. about. If I had to stay at work till half past five, uh, half past five, six o'clock for meetings, she was happy as Larry just in my school library doing the reading and things, you know. And it was a little tear, you know, and don't cry very often and things, but a little tear came on a on a very last day when she moved to high school. So I thought I could still bring you to school and take you home every day, but it's not like I could just if I'm I could just, not just wander down and see you in a in a classroom and things. Mm-hmm. But now she's at high school. Don't worry, because I've got a four year old that will be starting in September. So the old journey can start again, except I'll get seven years this time. Yeah. Cycle begins again. And after the seven years, we'll see what's, what happens then. <laughs> but uh, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so this is, I'm, I'm interested to see your response to this because, of course, you, you don't know this question yet. What is your funniest story from being in primary education? And to give you a little bit of thinking time, it could be with the kids, it can be with staff, anything that's a funny story you can share about being in primary education. And this is why I love these questions. I didn't know anything like this was coming up. And one simple story stands out because, you know, as I said, I were a bachelor uh, up till I was 33 and things. I lived for football, going to watch Sheffield United, playing football on a Sunday, going out with my mates and things. Um, and I had a reputation of being a bit of a jack the lad in my, in my twenties and things. Uh and I remember, and it was practically this weekend, 
about 1996, 1997. Uh, and I've been up in Sheffield to see uh, my old school friend and best mate, uh, Lee Daniels. Uh, and he introduced me to red wine for the first time. And it was a, it was a Friday night and I'd never had red wine before. And when I woke up Saturday morning, I had the worst hangover I've ever, ever, ever experienced. And I was up in Sheffield and I had to drive back to Stoke later that afternoon because I was going on a school trip to the Isle of Wight. Mm. That's the one down south. Yeah, the geography right. comes yeah. <laughs> so we're going on the holidays to the Isle of Wight. So I've got back to, um, I've got back to Stoke uh, for, when, for the Grand National, which is this afternoon, funny enough. Uh, it was a Grand National afternoon. And it was the first time, you know, I don't gamble, but I, I was always brought to have a little £2 on the on the Grand National things, family time and things. And I felt that ill when I got back to Stoke. I thought, I can't even I'm, I can't even watch Grand National this year. And then by 7 o'clock, I felt a bit better, so I ordered a Chinese, had a bit to eat, I packed all my suitcase ready for the school holiday, you know, checked my alarm clock, which back in those days, before you had mobile phones and everything, we had a landline in the in the sort of house. Um and to make sure I was never late for work, I'd always set me alarm clocks for like 24 minutes faster than it actually was. So I could sort of, when I woke up, I could work out what time it was and then get up. So my alarm clock was set. Everything was great. Uh, I didn't even watch Match of the Day that night. And this is the time when, whenever you went out on a Saturday night, you watched Match of the Day. And as soon as you come in, whatever time, you'd always watch Match of the Day before you went to bed. Yeah. I thought I want to be fit and ready next morning. So I went to sleep, uh, woke up, Next morning, got up. I religiously, even still do it now, do 100 sit-ups, 40 press-ups. My alarm had not even gone off, so I'm all ready for this. Brought my suitcase downstairs. I thought I'd make myself a nice cup of tea. Slipped the telly on, you know, at 8.06 in the morning, this is. Slipped the telly on. Uh, I thought I'd go through and brush my teeth and things now. And I remember just stopping. And it was the most anxious moment of my life as I saw the clock said 9.06 and I thought that just can't be right it's 8.06 so I'd run back I'd run upstairs I'd run upstairs looked at the alarm clock expected to say 8.06 which it sort of did but with 23 minutes added on to the top so it's from like 8.30 and I'm thinking oh my god what's happened here you know so I've gone down I've even switched the telly over to ITV or put the Oracle on or CFAX whatever it was yeah, yeah. and I thought bus is going at half the bus is going so I've not even brushed my teeth. I've not even been in the toilet. I've gone to the car, I've, and I had one of them old-fashioned stereos that you had to pull out every time you got out of the car. I didn't oh, yeah. out, just chucked my suitcase, sped down to school, and the bus had gone. <laughs> I'd missed the bus with the island, the island man. And I thought, oh, my. Now, I never got any written warnings at the school, but the, the head there... Uh, always had to keep sort of warning me saying, come on, Chris, come on, Chris, and things. So you can imagine and all the teachers there that really dislike me and all the teachers there that, that saw me as a bit of a jack, the lad were like, well, we're not surprised he's not here. <laughs> you know, it turns up at work sometimes at 10 to things. So, so I got to school, it wasn't there, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I thought, I'm going to have to just drive and catch the bus up. Yeah. So I'd zoomed off from Newcastle under line, Hassel County Primary School. I zoomed off down. You know, and every time <clears throat> got on the M6, every time I come close to a coach, I was slowing down because I didn't have a clue what coach it was. Is that um, you no? Know, they must thought I was some right weirdo. <laughs> I got to Portsmouth. I got to Portsmouth from Stoke in less than two hours. I must have gone past Michael Schumacher on the way. 
but I was so panicking. I was so, and then I got there, uh, and I thought, well, I'm here. You know, I I was only in my third year of teaching, uh, and when I put it in the car park, and it was like 140 pounds to leave it for the week, I thought I can't pay 140 quid. I ain't got any money. So I drove around because I thought the co- I got the itinerary out and they weren't due till one o'clock. So I drove around and then I found this sort of private block of flats that said strictly no parking, clamping in operation. But the exact block of flats next to it, which were only about 10 metres away, didn't have that plaque on it. So I just put my car in there and I wrote a note on it saying, I'm so, 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 so sorry. Please don't clamp me. I've come from Stoke. I missed a school bus. So I'm going to get sacked. If I can't do it, I've got no money to put it on a car. Please don't clamp my car. So I left it there and I went back to the sort of Portsmouth terminal where the ferry goes over to the Isle of Man. And I remember just sitting watching the clock coming on. And then about five past one, the coach pulled in. I thought, right, it's now or never. So I had to walk out. And it, it, was, like, it, it was like someone from One Direction walked out. The bus just erupted. They went, Mr. Nice is there, Mr. Nice And the uh, head teacher came off. He went, do you know, I knew he'd make it. I was never in any doubt. And then, and I say all them teachers on there, they're going to be totally after you. So make sure you're on top for this sort of holiday. And then what had actually transpired was they'd waited until about quarter past nine for me. And where where my school was at Hassel County Primary, Newcastle Underline, there's a roundabout. Just it's on the dual carryway, and there's a roundabout. And to get the M6, you either go first left or you can go second left. Mm. So I was literally only three minutes behind them, and I'd gone first left. So I was only probably oh, wow. 200 yards behind the bus. <laughs> They'd gone for, so here's me burning out the M6, thinking I'm going to get psyched now, I'm going to get psyched. You know, ratio numbers are going to be out. I'm going to be, oh, my. And I was actually on the M6 before they'd even got on it. So I'd driven down like, down like a lunatic. And I apologise, obviously, now, because I'm a sensible person when I'm driving. <laughs> uh, I'd actually got on the M6 and burnt myself down there before they'd even joined and things. So, but then I redeemed myself, actually, on about day three when we were actually in a maze, uh, and a lovely maze that's in the Isle of Man, and one of the kids had a severe asthma sort of ta- attack there. They didn't have their inhaler, but I had a good old sandwich bag with my lunch with an apple that had a paper bag so I managed to sort of sit her down in a, a big space in a maze and I give her this um, sort of paper bag to sort of help her breathing and I couldn't believe when I turned around and the chair of governors was stood watching me you know <laughs> it makes me quite emotional now because when we got back that night he made a point of saying you, what he did today was over and above you know it was absolutely brilliant so so people forgive me a bit after after two days things well, that seems so, like- it was only two days you had to survive then, <laughs> but that was great. Yeah. And I love just, just love the idea that, you know, it's just that different turn and then you're just speeding down and trying to look for all these coaches, just this man on this motorway, just staring at all these coaches with people in. That's fantastic. Right, that's brilliant. Now, we're going to move and in. We, and then we got a ferry back over. To, we've got... Go ahead. I was just saying, then we got a ferry back across. We got a ferry back across on about the Thursday to go around the uh, Mary Rose uh, ship. So I said, I'll just nip off and see if my car's been clamped. And I didn't, and someone had written a reply on my note saying, no problems, pick it up Friday. So I thought that was that was lovely. And then the teachers, bless them, uh, the teachers, bless them, had a whip round and give me £30 towards my petrol coming back oh, up. So that's there nice. you go. I was going to ask about the car as well, so it's good to hear that wasn't clamped either. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> 
Right, uh, let's move into your primary three then. So this is the main discussion point now of the podcast. Uh, and we've got three fantastic things you want to talk to us about, and I can't wait to talk to you about them. The first one you shared about was times tables. So Chris Dyson, and, all, and obviously for listeners that are listening to this for the first time, the primary three is basically the three primary things about primary education that you are really passionate about, that you think are important. It can be philosophies or advice or resources. You, Chris Dyson, have picked times tables as your first one. So why have you chosen that? Go ahead. So, as I said, I made my career sort of on times tables, as we discussed earlier, from a class teacher, then rolling it out to a key stage, and then eventually rolling it out to a whole school. Uh, Because once you've got these numbers, it makes your maths so much easier. But it makes maths fun. I mean, you're lucky, Matt, that I've sent you through a fair few videos of watching these. And as I said, when you've got little five-year-olds blitzing out the 12 times tables, you know, really inspires, especially given the sort of background of the demographics of the school. Uh, I managed to tap into Times Table Rockstars from the great Baz Winter uh, early doors, so basically my homework was easy because I'd, I'd taught in year six, uh, point five, and I was a deputy head, point five. Uh, so when I started the sort of headship, I'd be, I came straight from a classroom practically, so I could do a lot of coaching for the teachers. I could do a lot of mod in Benny Man, you know, a year from a private school that had its own padded cell. We had our own padded cell. You can't believe it, can you? Exclusion rooms, padded cell. In fact, when I was looking around the school, because there were 17 of the worst, nastiest kids in the school, we want teaching assistant, and the chairs were whizzing around everywhere. So I thought, we've got to get behaviour sorted. Mm. And obviously, I wanted to basically have a presence in school. So all I did for that first 12 weeks, 16 weeks, sorry, on that first term, was I walked around the school all day, every day. But I needed to have a purpose sort of when I went in, because obviously when the teachers have been told they're the worst teachers in the world, it's like the rabbit in the headlights when the new head walks, and it's like, oh, God. So I, I wanted an open, I wanted to trust them. You know, I told everyone at the start, it's late, you know, we're going to work together, it's going to be a roller coaster journey, but I'll tell you something, if you get on my bus and you're still on it in five years, you will have done brilliant. I'm taking you to the top. And that first assembly, when I said, I'm going to make you the, the country in four years, I remember looking around at my staff and their eyes were rolling. We've had, heard all this before. But I had a dream and I wanted to take these people on that dream. So to get, but to get teaching right, you've got to get behaviour right. They've got to be inspired. So I just started walking around the classrooms and say, we're doing the seven times tables this week. Uh, and this goes all the way down to year one. So, and I'd start going and saying seven, they go 14, 21, 28, 35, really dull and boring. Uh, but then after I'd done that twice that day, by the time it comes to the Wednesday, I'd start going and saying seven fours and then something 28, seven, nine, 63. And I'd go to the next room and things. Now, one of the advisors were in there was mentoring because I'd never been a head teacher. She said, it's going to disrupt the learning if you keep doing that. I thought, well, they've had 150 exclusions last year. When I walked around in one day, they were doing colouring. Why are they colouring? Why are they just colouring? They said, because they can't do anything in an afternoon. And I thought, well, this time I'm doing it. And things. So, and that had a huge impact. It built staff's confidence up in me. It gives us a goal. I took it into, a, into the assemblies where all the class champions have come. Uh, and it's just had huge, huge impact. The Shine Trust did a beautiful video of Riley's story, which showed the deprivation of the estate, which shows if you've got a dream and a belief, you can achieve absolutely anything. 
and things. And, you know, you might be able to put a link on at the end to some of these brilliant videos. And then I found one yesterday that uh, Matt had inspired me to find, which was the councillor, Judith Blake, who was the lead council, uh, who was the head of the counselling leads, who was speaking about this remarkable journey, this school called Parklands being uh, with the maths and how the school has inspired boys, you know, to do this maths. It's the first school ever where maths is seen as cool and as brilliant. You know, so having the times tables like that, and then you take it, because obviously if year one's doing all the way through to the 12 times tables, it comes to year four, you don't want them to get bored. So I started going in, and this got us on the BBC Big Breakfast, which is another great story, because they came. To, there was two outdoor broadcasts that day, uh, us and something down in, in the uh, NEC down in Birmingham. Uh, and they went to them at 20 past six, and they never went back to them. It was with us at 20 to seven, 20 past seven, 20... To eight, 20 past eight, 20 to nine, 10 to nine, and then came back to us at 10 past nine. It were all live, you know, so there were no be recording and things. And the reason why they wanted to come and see, because my lovely, four, my lovely eight-year-olds in year four, you'd say to them, six eights, and they'd go, 52! And then people are going, oh, six eights isn't 52. <laughs> but what we were actually doing to keep their skills, to keep the challenge going, was they had to do the times table, and then they had to subtract the answer from 100. Mm. So you go seven sixes, fifty eight, six ten, forty, and things. So, and it was just amazing. And again, the publicity the school got from these children doing these unbelievable sort of mental calculations in the head was was absolutely wonderful. The end result is a company then got in touch and said, "Look, what you've just done is so insane. Don't ever estimate that." So every year now, they send me a helicopter in. You know, and you didn't miss hear that. I get a helicopter in school every July, which gives about 30, 40 kids a helicopter ride over to Leeds, over to York, sorry, back again. And these kids have been, you know, how many people in life have been on a helicopter? I'd say only about 30 or 40%, you know. But, you know, in my type park, half the kids have been on one now. And it's that inspiration, that awe and wonder that you create. So my number one go-to place are times tables. Excellent. Uh, so just uh, to say, apologies, listeners, there's a bit where we got cut out there. But basically, I think we got the complete gist of all of that, which is fantastic that, you know, there were, the, you went to Parklands, there was this real big exclusion culture, you know, 150 exclusions and all these kind of things, padded cells. And just the love of times tables, the love of learning and the and just the joy that came as you developed that through the school, across the school, just changed everything, which is amazing. And obviously, you've, um, it's referred to in the resources. And like you mentioned, uh, I, what I'm starting to do is with these podcasts is kind of do a little summary, a little write up at the end and a, a blog post will come out with that. So we can put all the links to these videos and these uh, and these things, which will be fantastic. Um, you, you kind of attribute, if I'm right in thinking, that... The, the progression of the maths, which is like you've mentioned, one of the lowest in the country and is now in the top nationally, down to that times tables. Uh, and so what I wanted to ask Chris is, you know, I'm inspired by this. I love times tables rock stars. And in my last school, you know, I'm, I'm maths lead there, maths lead in my new school as well. It's something I've really wanted to do. And I've seen great success from that. Um, not quite to that extent that you've seen it though. And so this is what I want to ask you is, where would you start getting the, the, t the love of times tables in the classrooms. Say you're a maths lead or you're just someone, e even a classroom teacher, where would you start that journey with a class in front of you? Well, the first thing for any teacher that's out there is look after your own class first. Get those with a shining light. 
And when you've got that shining light, people will look at people will look at you. When I first started as an as an NQC back in uh, 1993, I had a year three class, and when they were blitzing out the times tables, the year three class were like, "Whoa, how are they doing that?" So it sort of it, it sort of geared those into doing it. Mm. The year six teachers and the deputies were coming down to see what Ali's little seven eight year old were knowing every single times tables left, right, and centre so quickly, and never do it part of the maths lesson. You do it as part of the, you know, before they get ready for lunch, before while they're getting ready for PE. So it's it's not used, it's used just as a time when some people, you know, like my great friend and inspiration, Simon Smith, or in a, at Whitby Academy, he may use that time for quiet reading because he's very much a reading sort of, and the thought, the thought process schools. Some schools like Mark Unwin's over in Cheshire and Simon Kidwell's, they're all about the writing through the curriculum. And that was another thing to go sort of for my, I wanted a niche for my school and not, there wasn't really any many maths primary schools out there. Mm. So I could have a totally sort of free reign uh, sort of doing it that way. So, uh, And then when you've got your class right, then you can roll it out to other year groups. But have a word with your head teachers. You can come into your celebration assembly because having it in the assembly can really showcase it. It can get parents in to watch it. You know, everybody gets their own limited edition dojo Dialed times table certificate, and that is about being your class champion for a week. And then the class champions playoff, so you're expecting year six to be able to beat the year threes or the year ones. Uh, but it's very, it's normally the year three fours that, that are hitting the hitting the money on it and things, you know. And again, it, it just inspires others. It's it's a big competition, and competition leads to success if it's done in the sort of right way where you learn to win with grace and lose with dignity. Mm. I love that. I think that's really important as well because I think that there is always those people that, and and rightly so, you know, that are a bit uncomfortable with the idea of competition because they think, oh, what about the kids that you know won't, won't succeed in that? But I think, like you say, if it's done in the right atmosphere, the right culture, where you know we're doing this for fun, it's a great uh, opportunity. And actually, you know, when you do generate, and I, well, I'm talking to the converted, obviously, <laughs> like, you, you've done this and you've seen this great success, and I'm sure it isn't always the kids that you think are going to always win those things when that culture is in place it's once that fire is lit everyone and all the kids are involved just going back to sort of my football days at Pudgy Juniors and my school teams whenever we won a cup we weren't running around the pitch going we're the best we're the best and likewise if we lost a cup final you just carried on you shook the hand you've done the very best you can and it's the same with the times tables now it's funny enough always this is a little tip for the teachers always stick until they know them all just give all the school or all the stage a particular time table. Everyone's doing fours this week. Everyone's doing sixes next week. Everyone's doing sevens the week after. So you're not daunting everybody by thinking I've got to know every single times table by and gently. Um, and you know, as I said, you, the children have got to learn, you know, how to how to deal with disappointment. Life can be disappointing sometimes, but it's how you deal with it and how it makes you. If you've never failed, you don't learn. My success at Parklands has been where I've done something wrong. You know, I've made a mistake, but I've never been too big to say, actually, no, we'll keep going with it and going with it. We'll stop, we'll collaborate, and then we'll we'll restart it again and things. So, but no, it's it's a celebration, you know, and it's amazing now because, as I said, the best children and the most successful children at the times tables are the middle to lower ability mm. because these are the children that are going home and in the heads you don't need a I haven't got a lot of kids with pen and papers at home and things I don't want to stop them doing the learning but all you've got to do in your mind is have 
and just carry on and that sort of repetition and it's the middles and lowers that are practicing those so suddenly when you say 4 4 16 4 3 12 and things where the high ability children they know them but they don't know them like this and things so again it's a great leveling up and for these these really bright mathematicians that are in every school no matter why what school whether you're in a leafy lane school a deprived school um school you're in you know you can achieve anything if you put that effort in and you put that that work ethic in and things and yeah so times tables all day long Excellent. That's fantastic. Let's move on to your second of the primary three. Otherwise, I fear that uh, this will be a much longer uh, podcast than normal. Um, Let's talk about your second one then. So that was about the reading challenge. Do you want to explain to our listeners a little more about what you mean by the reading challenge and why that's an important part of your primary education passions that you have? As I said, I took a niche. uh, I wanted to make a niche at Parklands. I wanted to be a math sort of school because there wasn't a lot of math schools around with uh, because the reading schools or writing schools or science schools or curriculum schools or PHSE schools or art schools and things. So I went for a market uh, to use my sort of strength and I'd advise anyone going to headship, you take your strength and you make it into a whole school success. Um, and it was my good old governors because the governors had seen for the last five years in maths, we were in the top 1% of the schools in the country uh, in maths at the end of key stage two. And they were really, really, really disappointed that reading and writing was only in the top 10%. And they wanted to know, why is that? And I'm like, I'm quite happy with the top 10%, to be fair. They said, right, your performance management target is you've got to get reading up, you've got to get writing up and things. So I thought reading, it really hits a point when the new Ofsted, and I said, I'm a big lover for me of Ofsted. I've always, I want to be an Ofsted Spectre one day, I'll be honest with you there. Might lose some followers at the end of that, but <laughs> there you go. Um, but it was when the new Ofsted framework came out that basically was 95% about reading, deep dives in reading, phonics, you know, everything to about having a knowledge of Shakespeare, a knowledge of Dickens. And I thought, we've always done well at reading, but every, if you ask any of my children, what's your favourite lesson? Times tables. That's not a lesson. Maths. But everyone had say math, so I thought I've got to get reading up. So the great guy at the literacy shed, spelling shed, everything shed, quiz shed, and everything now, Rob Smith, got in touch with me, and I was chatting because I'm blessed. And again, listening to advice from the people, everything reading wise, writing wise, ain't my ideas. Their ideas I've pinched, borrowed, innovated from inspirational people on Twitter. And I was speaking to Rob and saying, look, I've got to get this vision. I've got to get reading up on the mark. And so he bought me a vending machine, a vending machine. They didn't have any sweets and any crisps or anything. So we put this vending machine in and we filled it full of books. And we thought, right, we've got to inspire these children to read. I don't just want to give them a book. On an assembly, on my fun day Friday, on the best seats in the house assembly, all hashtag, one lucky child was going home with £25 in cash every week. Now, on people on Twitter at the start were saying, oh, you can't be giving kids cash. Why are you giving them cash? Why are you giving them a book voucher? I thought, because unless the tattoo parlour or the kebab shop on the estate start selling books, the, the book voucher is not going to be much use for anyone. So again, I thought, right, I'm going to bring the books into you then. So I worked with Rob Smith, absolute legend of a guy. You know, you can't see me on the Zoom now, but we're doing <laughs> a big heart shape. Um, and we thought, right, 
We don't just want a reader of the week, come and get a book, reader of the week. We want to set it up as a challenge. So again, looking at that Ofsted document, which was all about the deep dive and the knowledge of reading, we set up a reading challenge where they, where the children had to read nine different genres to get access to the vending machine for a top quality book. Mm-hmm. My daughter can't get a book out of hand. She's lucky enough. When she's run out of books, she can go on Amazon, order whatever she wants. Next day, books come. But for my beautiful, lovely kids, that's not an option. There's no library. There's no library in secret. Where are these kids going to get books from? You know. So again, with everything, I thought, I'm going to bring the library into you. So we set up a reading challenge where they had to read nine different genres. They had to, this would be interesting if I can remember all nine, but they had to read a story from a different culture. They had to read a modern fiction, something like uh, Kenzuki's Kingdom or something. They had to read a poetry book. They had to read uh, an autobiography. They had to read a Dickens novel. They had to read a piece of Shakespeare. They had to read uh, a detective story. Uh, they had to read. They had to read a, a, a classic. So we've had the modern classic, but they also had to read another classic. Um, and they had to read a ninth one, which defeat, which just vanished from my head. I knew you should have asked me the questions beforehand. Um, so when the children have read these nine different genres and they put a simple synopsis about what they've read, then as soon as they've done that, they go to the vending machine. And again, the awe and wonder in a deprived school having a vending machine where you can go up and press D4, you know, <clears throat> and have a wonderful... Uh, a wonderful book that just drops down, which then they've got to push it open and get the book out of the bottom. You know, that's the kind of aura of inspiration then that spreads like wildfire because everybody then wants to start reading and everybody wants to be part of the challenge. So, and it was my lovely Nikki Ty that sort of, I did this sort of idea with Robin things and I passed it to my lovely Nikki Ty, um, who then set up the sort of passports and and labelled meticulously all the sort of books. Um, So they knew they were reading the Dickens because they'd have it on the spine of the book. They knew if it was a story from another culture, autobiography, biography, that might be the ninth one. Uh, So again, it was a great team effort. And then COVID hit, but the children carried on reading and reading and reading because we put this little spark in, like we did with the Times Table seven years ago, we put it into reading. And again, we're in that position now that if Ofsted did come in, and I'm so glad that outstanding schools like mine are back in the mix now, you know, because I just want, I'd, I'd lose the word outstanding. I just want every school to be good mm. or knowing how to get good. Um, it means we tick all those boxes because the children can explain what Hamlet's about. They can explain who the favourite Dickens character is, who, why they prefer Poirot to Miss Marple, you know. So it's, it's really had a huge, huge impact so far. So that's my number two, the reading challenge. I love that. There's so many things we could say about that. I think talking about cultural capital and all these things with the offset framework, you know, what what better than to be reading these wide range of books? And, you know, it's great to have children loving reading, but obviously without something like this, they often focus on a particular genre, don't they? They often have a certain, I mean, the number of kids in my school who love Harry Potter, but can't name any other books, you know, and it's great that they're reading, but it's trying to get that broader love of that that wide variety of reading that's out there. I love that idea of the the vending machine and uh, and all of that. That's fantastic. Uh, so I think I might be uh, trying to pinch that idea and make it my own in, in some way in, in the future. That's great. Um, it's funny, when we got when the vending machines first came out, I think uh, it was Dave Shaw. I think he's on Twitter. It was Dave Shaw ICT, but he's a head teacher. Uh, 
he got one before me, but I didn't know it at the time. He said, I think I went first one to get it. And he got his for about £200. They're about two grand now. Someone's got really clued up onto it. So my tip for people is, you know, it's easier if you're in a big city like Leeds, like Matt is over in Manchester, people in Birmingham, Bristol, because we've got major companies that are on site. You know, you get get that contact. You get that contact with those businesses. They'll have a spare vending machine that will only be only too pleased to be able to give you because you're using it to promote reading. Mm. Reading is the most single thing in life. You know, I didn't read as a child. I never read. I was always outside playing, you know. Reading was a chore. Mm. So when we had the old Eric time at 1 to one fifteen, everyone reading class together, oh, I used to find that so dull and so terrible. But I regret that now because I've got a 12-year-old daughter that, you know, even when we were on holiday last year, I had to get an emergency book order sent over and things because she just loves books. And if you love books, your vocabulary grows, you know, your writing grows. I'm the world's, I'm the world's worst spelling head teacher because I didn't read mm. when I was little. I didn't read. So giving that opportunity is absolutely essential. And making it fun, not making them do it. Right, you're reading now. You read. You've got to make it fun. You've got to get those genres that they like. You know, by having a nine-book challenge, the children can realise now what genres they love. For example, now that I've started reading, now that I'm an adult, I really love Dickens, whereas I don't particularly go for Shakespeare too much. But I know that other people, like Nicky Ty, we've just mentioned, adore Shakespeare, but don't like Dickens too much. Yeah. So for you, for you to find that flavour, you've got to experience them all. That's great. I'm glad you've mentioned, and I am going to go on to a side tangent with this, because it's something that I've been thinking about, and it's come up now twice in both your primary three so far. We're not even on the third one yet, so apologies, listeners. It's going to be a bit of a longer episode. But um, you were talking before when we were kind of losing a bit of the um, the quality on the audio about the times tables, about the helicopter ride, and I've seen the video of that, and I'm just sat there looking. It's like, are they on a helicopter? Like and talking about that, talking about then about the links of the business, and that's how we got the vending machine. Uh, and I think this this is kind of underlying just how we really promote a love and curiosity and just real engagement in a school. Could you just give like an idea or a top tip about how how do you go about getting these contacts? How do you get about finding? Oh, yeah, we can get a helicopter in. Oh, we can get a vending machine. You know, it, it all sounds so easy, and I'm sure there's a lot of work behind the scenes that goes on there. What is, what is kind of your, your views and, and your, uh, your, your your advice to, to teachers or school leaders that want to do these great things but just wouldn't know where to begin? Well, again, in my younger life, uh, I was brought up... Not in a, I, know, I was brought up in an area that had challenges, shall we say. Uh, and Del Boy was a hero of everyone, sort of my age growing up and things. Arthur Daly, wheeling and dealing... You know, how to, how to be able to get things, uh, not always the most legal way, but I was under 18 at that time and things. Um, so I've never been afraid to ask. I've always been a face-to-face, wheeler-dealer kind of person. Uh, and it's got to a situation now where I'm, I'm probably the most successful head teacher in the country at bringing money into school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've brought in over a million pounds over the last three years. I've bring in over 350 grand a year. Even when we went back in September, September to December, I brought in £156,000 to school. So this is totally different to what a lot of you guys are going down there. But it's year end, and I went into school on Wednesday to do the year end. Uh, and we've got a, we've got nearly a two hundred grand carry forward for next year. The number of times I have to look at year end and things, I can't afford a clawback. I'm going to have to take on more staff 
So now I'm in, I'm in an unprecedented situation where I've got 35 classroom assistants, 35 teaching assistants in 15 classes, you know, because I can't afford this money to come back because I've got this money brought into school. Now you get people that obviously say, how do you get that much money? And how do you get that much money? In? And the idea is you start slow. Mm-hmm. I didn't just decide, well, I'm going to tap into businesses. Whoa, I've got 350 grand this year. You know, it starts slow, but like a snowman and building a snowman, you've got to roll that snow as it gets inertia, it starts getting bigger and starts getting bigger. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. During lockdown, the big thing that I promised my families is that nobody would go hungry while we're on lockdown. So it was my driving the ambition to get as much food into school as I could. I got into contact with all the Costa Coffees in the north of England and I emptied out every single one of their stores. Um, I got in touch with the real junk food project, Adam Smith. Oh, God, I love that man so much. A real man with a social conscience, you know. And he came with me the idea saying, look, we're getting all of this food. Why don't we do one big one? You know, so it comes back to me after daily days. I'm thinking, well, what, what's your idea of doing a big one? What are we going to do? We're not going to go and rob Tesco's, are we? Uh, and he said, he said, no, I'm, I'm going to get in touch with McCain's over in Scarborough, the oven chip place. Uh, and we set a day in May, I think it was about May the 19th, where we had 19 tonnes of food delivered from McCain's oven chip factory. It had all the jack potato range, all the whirly chips, all the skinny chips, all the fat chips, everything. And that equates to 35,000 meals. Now, 35,000 meals, and if we remember back to May last year, it was a roaster. 35,000 meals that are frozen to be distributed within three hours was going to take a, a bit of logistics. So we got in touch with Dennis Distribution, who gave us free of charge uh, a refrigerated lorry. So we'd have a bit more time before they started defrosting. They drove to Scarborough, packed it all up, brought it over. And about two days before, I thought, oh, shucks. I weren't going to swear then. I weren't <laughs> going to swear. I thought, oh, shucks. How are we going to get 19 tonnes? That's basically 19 pallets, 35,000 meals off a lorry and onto the car park. It's going to be a nightmare. So I had to work with Leeds City Council, who give me a forklift truck. Oh, it's a right laugh driving a forklift truck, <laughs> I tell you. I love that job. If I finish it, finish doing my head if I want to be a forklift truck driver. So we used the forklift truck to get all the sort of frozen goods off, and we knocked it out. We got rid of 35,000 meals in three hours. There were vans coming from Bradford, all the schools in Leeds, from Wakefield. We had queues that went around four miles around the estate because everybody was coming in to sort of get this food and things. And that was one of my, my sort of proudest days ever. But that was at the end of everything I've been building up for seven years. And how did I get this first started? Well, it broke my heart on December the 4th, uh, 2014, when I walked around school and I, could, I only found four children that had been to see Santa. Four children. And it gutted me. Because obviously with three kids, you get bored of seeing Father Christmas at Christmas time. You're queuing up for an hour, paying eight quid each for a plastic toy. You know, kids don't care because they've got their Xboxes when they get home. Oh, I'm going to do this bin it. So I thought, it's every child's right to see Santa. It's every child's right to go and have something to open on Christmas Day. So I pulled my senior staff in that night and I said, right, I'm opening school Christmas Day. I'm just going to give them a Christmas Day dinner and a selection box. I'm going to get in touch with Asda, or worst case is, I'll buy the bloody selection boxes myself, but everybody's having a present to open up on Christmas Day on my first year here, because I've told these kids 
is I'm going to make them the best school. I've told these parents, I'm not here for a two-minute stay to get up onto my next job and things. And my senior staff said, no chance. Nobody's going to work Christmas Day. I'm going, I know, but then we can go home and we'll be, we'll be eating all this stuff, drinking nonstop, and we'll know we've done something. They said, nobody's going to do it. Listening's everything. They were right. Nobody would work Christmas Day. So I thought, I'll do Christmas Eve then. Mm. Everyone didn't mind doing Christmas Eve, especially since I had three NQTs on my books that needed, as part of their NQT uh, standards, to do some <laughs> voluntary work or something for the community. So they were yeah, yeah. right, you three are in. Anyone else? <laughs> um, and I got I got me, me 400 selection boxes that I wanted. And then lovely Mike Harvey from Business in the Community had seen on Twitter what I was trying to do. And he said, look, we'll get you. We'll get you 200 presents. No worries. We'll put a big business. And uh, these presents came in. You know, there were £10 presents. You know, there were footballs. There were, you know, there were reading books. There were dressing up outfits. There was something for everyone. Um, and that Christmas Eve, we opened up. And I had 250 kids, uh, 250 kids at school at that point in my first year. Which is funny because on my very first day at school, when we opened reception... There should have been 60 kids starting and only three turned up. The other 57 over there, dead bodies when they're coming to this school. No chance, <laughs> no chance. Fast forward seven years, I've got a waiting list for every single year group, 100, 120 mm. children now all want to come into Parklands. So basically it started off, I did them 250 and it just went from step to step. More businesses wanted to get involved. Mm. And then the year before last, because obviously last year was COVID, uh, The Guardian featured it on the centre pages. And then Sky News rang up and said, "We love this. Can you come on? Can you come on at Sky News at three o'clock?" Uh, and when we came back after Christmas, we'd had twenty grand put in the school bank account, twenty grand in cash because, you know, the businesses like to give, especially the banks. They love to give at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So it went now. So the last one that we did was we did eight hundred Christmas meals, and it's for the community. If you're a kid at another school down the road, you come. I remember that first year, one of my teachers saying. There's some kids that already have come to our school. Should we send them away? I said, Santa don't turn anyone away. Give them one at selection boxes. You know, so everyone come came. And now we've got grandparents, we've got great grandparents, we've got aunties, everybody comes in uh for the for so for a Christmas Day meal. I've got Santa that's there, I've got I've got real life reindeers on the on the uh playground, these these big tough year six lads walking up going, huh, look at them donkeys with sticks on their heads. And it's like <laughs> They're not donkeys with sticks on them. They're reindeers. And no word like, they thought reindeers were made up. Oh. Like, they thought they were made up. And it's like, the reindeers. I mean, they're trying to yank the reindeers. <laughs> they, they weren't really. They went, oh, look at that. I have snow machines. I have unicorns walking around in the hall. Because when you set something up like that, you know, you tap into the businesses and you get them in. Mm. You know, you show them what, what you can do. And I never get a business in and just say, can I have money? Can I have money? I don't send an email to 4,000 companies sorting personal. I find the person I've got to speak to and I invite them into my school. Mm. And as I said, if they're accountants and the, and the, and the bankers, uh, and I say, right, let's have a special assembly. This is what we do. You're going to play these five-year-olds at times tables. And they're like, well, we'll let them win the first couple and then we'll do them. But then you ask the first couple, 6, 8, 48, 12, 4, 48, 9, 3, 27. And they're like, these are five-year-old kids in a deprived area. And then they go and tell their bosses. And then the bosses are like, want to come in. And then they want to give you volunteering days and things. So so it's it's about building up, you know, those those relationships. Mm. But it takes, as I said, it takes two, three years mm. of involving them. 
you know, I did the, one of the best things I ever did at my school was uh, my year six teacher was on maternity leave. So to take a bit of pressure off me standing year six teacher and the other one, I said, I'll do the Christmas concert this year. And they're going, oh, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to do High School Musical. And they were like, oh, that's going to be a laugh. But, you know, I don't, as I said, it, this comes to, I challenge myself every day. I did 13 different dance routines for that. 13, a choreography of, me, with my, of myself and things. And it was absolutely, you know, one of the best things I'd sort of ever done. But I ended up playing it for six, six days to about 2,000 people because everybody wanted to come and watch this show. You know, but every time I played it, I had a different business in and different community groups that were coming in because I, I needed them to see the value of what they were contributing and things. And I could go on with this all day. I, I got sponsorship from a year three, my year four, my year five, and year six to have totally free residentials. And I'm a year five residential when I work at Whitby. I'm watching these year five girls rubbing the toes in the sand going, oh, that feels funny. I said, what? They went, sand between your toes. And it turned out there was 45 kids. Seven of them had been on a beach before. No, no. Depending on how you drive, not like I did to Portsmouth, you know, but Scarborough's only an hour away from me. Yeah. Have it not been? So generally, July the 18th, every year, school shuts down. I get eight coaches and every single child gets to go to Bridlington Beach, because I've got a deal at Bridlington, you see. Uh, there's deals everywhere. Because I want every child to, to be able to splash in the sea and eat a corny. Something we take for granted. Eating an ice cream on a beach is everybody's right, you know. And... So we've done that now for the last six years. And, you know, for six years we've done that on the trot. There's not been a cloud in the sky. It's been beautiful blue sunshine every yep. single time. We've you have a deal to get that as well. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Do you have a deal to get the good weather as well? you got to let you got no, to speak I'll get that. Coach, I got, I got my, ice, my ice cream's free. So <laughs> if, I went, if I went to them and I tweeted about it. That's great. Uh, honestly, I think that is, that is the key. Like you say, it's time. But it's also making those connections, and not, and like you say, not just pinging emails off, but make those personal connections. Invite them in, see what. And I think, like you say, businesses they want to do this because they see the value that it brings these kids in their lives. And I think you know that's really great to, to kind of get people inspired to try and start that process of making those types of connections. That's great. We're going to move on to your and third. That's, oh, go and on. That's, and that's, that's what I mean about being Del Boy meets Arthur Daly. You know, mm -hmm. being able to. Because I get I get a company to sponsor me turkeys. I get a different company to sponsor me potatoes. Someone sponsors me gravy. So absolutely everything, even though we bring about 20 grand in for this event, everything's sort of sponsored out. Mm. So again, it goes towards residentials, for fish and chips and for on the residentials and all things like that. So, And, of course, high staffing levels. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to your final, the primary three then. Uh, and that is that uh, you use the carrot instead of the stick. So... Do you want to talk us through that? Well, I think we've hit on most of this. I mean, as I said, when I took over the school, 150 exclusions, uh, a padded cell. Uh, there was more kids on my roof in the afternoon. This is before I started on my tour around. There were about 20 kids up on the roof playing TIG, you know. And it was, I'm thinking, what are they all up there for? And underneath them, you'd have the head, the deputy, be a support workers, to the authority, like Keystone Cops. So I knew that... The, the hard lesson, and when we're seeing these pictures of silent corridors, everyone facing the front, don't make a sound, that didn't work. These are kids on an estate, you know. They don't they don't want to sit in silence, you know, especially now that we've just had a bloody... They've all been in lockdown for a year. Come back to school, yeah, they'll be silent. You know, oh, I've lost my pen. All right, get an isolation for two hours. You know, oh, why have you got black... Why have you got 
brown shoes on, because my black ones don't fit me. Hard lines, isolation. Mm. You know, what colour are your socks? Oh, they're navy blue, they're not black. Isolation. Absolute joke, absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what, what colour socks make to you, difference to your learner. Oh, what colour shoes you wear? Oh, you've got trainers on. Oh, therefore, you must be a drug dealer. You must be going down the wrong path. Isolation, you know. That just didn't work. So I had to have a different way. And every tough school I've worked in, I, I, I built it on love. I built it on respect, you know, respecting these children, listening to them, you know, loving them, promising them that you can do, you're going to do your very, very best for them if they'll give you the very best, very, very best sort of back. So that's what I mean. The first thing I did, well, I ripped out my padded cell. This is all pre-Twitter days, otherwise that would have been on. I ripped out my padded cell. I put a music sound system in because I were a head teacher and I could, for the first time ever, sign my own checks, as it were. So I put a music system in that pumps music out 24-7. And it ain't on low, it's on number 11. You know, So when kids are walking down the corridor, they're singing. They're not networking, pushing and things. I get to pick all my own playlists. Don't even let anybody else need the playlist, you know. And it might be, as we've said... Might be a bit of blur that's on there. Might be a bit of Backstreet Boys being a bit into a bit of five lately, and things Lumineers. So the children come in and they get into they're getting educated in my music taste as well. And we don't we, don't, we often uh, we often miss that bit. Mm. But they come into assembly, they're singing, and as I said, when you've got Ofsted and you've got inspectors going bop bop bop, you know it's absolutely a pleasure to be seen. Mm. And the children soon realised, you know, that I weren't going to exclude, you know. I weren't going to put people uh, in, a, in an exclusion room with one teacher and assistant, you know. I was going to basically listen and understand it. My office door was always open. If parents were having fights on the playground, I'd have them straight in. You know, I'd pick up the phone. I had an open-door policy that if a parent had a problem, I'd see him there and then. I never said, no, go and see your class teacher first. No, go and see your key stage. No, and then I'll see you in about three weeks when it's all blown. I dealt with it, so I want to look after my staff mm. and things. Uh, and I remember that my very first assembly I ever did to parents, I'd been to Marks and Spencer's, must have been a nice new pay rise for me, and I bought 80 donuts, and I sent a message out saying, I want you to all come and listen to my vision, what I'm going to achieve at your school. And three people came, and two of them didn't even come to our school. And I thought, oh, well, I took the donuts outside at home time, I gave them all out, I said, look, I'm doing it again next week. And I speak to them in a language that they can understand. I don't speak to them in middle class, more old lardy dark kind of stuff. I've put a message out just saying, listen, on Friday last week, I want to tell you what my vision was for your, for what I want to do for your kids in this school and this community. And only three people came. And it made me feel like I were a little five-year-old at my birthday party where I'd invited the class and nobody came. So I'm doing it next week. I'm doing it the week after, and we're going to do it the week after, and the week after until I get 50 people in there who's going to come and listen to me. And I think they appreciated mm. sort of that. I think they appreciated it so much so that the following week, I had about 80 there. And again, I'd gone to Tesco's this time. I couldn't follow another Marks and Spencer's here. <laughs> and I bought the donuts again, and I shared it. You know, So when I think on day one, the first assembly, I had three people in. Now, on an assembly, on the fun day Friday, best seats in the house assembly, I have 200 parents in. You know, I have 200 parents that are in the queuing out the door. When I put on a show like High School Musical, got to end up playing it. Uh, got to end up playing it for five, six times because everybody wants to come to be part of this. In fact, good old Pauline Quirk from Birds of a Feathers Day, she gave me all the backdrops for High School Musical, so uh, all the costumes. So these kids looked like proper, proper sort, sort of superstars. Yeah. Uh, Both Wally from Chumba Wumba, I get knocked down. 
But I got up again. He wrote a musical about our school that we ended up going to play at the Leeds Playhouse. And you will have something big like that over in, over in Manchester. <laughs> you know, and we played, we sold out the Leeds Playhouse two nights doing, oh, I do like to be beside the Seacroft and things. <laughs> so it's in the city side. You know, 80% of my kids were involved in that. And again, it's life changing. I've got children in my school that are on the Northern Ballets sort of interview sort of panel that when they're interviewing one of the new dance teachers, my school council, I'll interview them. The school council will go and watch the lessons and give feedback. These kids are being empowered. You know, whatever happens outside school, as I said, when I was little, I had very, very, very little, but I'd love, you know, I had a family that couldn't, that just wanted to show as much love as they can. I didn't have computers and everything. And I wanted these kids to have the same, you know, and giving them that sort of cultural sort of experience, the ballet, the West Yorkshire Playhouse, as well as going to see Leeds Reynolds, Leeds United and things, the normal things that these kids are supposed to do. I want to give them a flavour. So that's what it was all about. This is what I'm going to do for you kids. And this is what, you, what, what I want you to do for me. I just want you to be respectful. You know, life's tough. And if something upsets you, you can't just lash out. Mm. Walk out your room, come sit in my office for a bit. Slam me dull, swear as much as you want in my room. I've played football all my life and things. So I know swear words. I don't, I don't care, boot me dull, boot me thing. Because in five minutes, when they calm down, you can communicate. Mm. And then they can unpick things. You know, and when you've got these really hard, tough kids then, they're just breaking down in tears, sharing things that have happened overnight, what they've seen, what they've experienced. You know, I can't just stick them in isolation because they've got an external barrier to them and things. So, and then, as I said, this sort of mingles in with everything that else has been on because then businesses see this this look. I take on excluded kids from other settings. So when I have visitors that come in, these are the kids I get to do the tours. You know, I've not got me, me lovely school council children. They do it as well and things. But I want these kids that have got, taken a second chance that can walk around and see what you think here. They go, it's great good. It's about how long you've been here. Well, I've got excluded from the last two schools, but I get given a chance here. Now, they're still going to have little blow-ups and things. Mm. It's about getting to know them, what makes them tick. And as I said, it's about protecting my staff. I deal with behaviour issues. You know, if there's an issue in class, I don't go, oh, no, I'm too busy. You know, I'm... I'm and another thing that I do in school, I'm very, very, very rarely out of school. I'm not one of these heads that go to this conference on a Monday, go to this meeting on a Tuesday. To make an impact in a school, you've got to be in there every day. You've got to be living it. You've got to be breathing it. You've got to be having a high presence, walking around and things. So that's brilliant. And I'd love just just to kind of bring kind of a, a tie on that is that I think what you talked about with the parents, it would have been very easy to to kind of do that vision that that meeting with them have none turn up and say, oh, well, they're not interested, and then just kind of have that rhetoric go through and say, well, the parents aren't interested. You went out of your way to say, look, I've done this, no one turned up, and I really want to share this vision with you. So this is what we're going to do. Please do come. And it's being persistent and showing that you care and have that respect for them as well. And that comes through with the kids. That's brilliant. I think the, I think the thing to highlight that the most, you know when you get in the community on side. Um, I've got all the naughtiest kids from the previous year that have been all excluded. I said... Right, I'm giving you 10 grand, and I give them a 10 grand check, a real 10 grand check, which obviously were cashed in school and everything. I said, design your own playground. Because when I was there, there was absolutely nothing from to do apart from fight. There were no football nets, there were no basketball courts, there were no uh, trim to. And I said, what do you want? They said, we want an outdoor, we want an outdoor adventure place. Mm. So I said, all right, you can have one. So I got in touch with this firm, and they came and built this big, massive outdoor wooden adventure climbing firm, a trim trail, as it were. 
And then key stage one wanted one, because I'm on, bless, I'm on 17 acres of land, that's why an helicopter can land. Um, so key stage one wanted one, and the bloke had been there, dug it all out, got all the foundations ready, came back next day, and all the wood had been nicked, all the wood had gone. And he came in to me, he said, and he was self, self and place, he said, I don't think I'm insured for it. I said, don't, I said, We'll we'll cover that. We'll ensure, we'll make sure you're not out of pocket. Get more ordered because I'm not being defeated by this. No chance. So I whipped my coat off because I wear my waistcoat and my lanyard everywhere. And one of the big players, obviously, I've got to be careful what I say because it's going out loud. One of the big players, one of the big sort of bosses on the estate. You know, everyone respects because he makes sure people are looked after. Because on the estate, people don't like using the police and things. So I went to his house. I walked through his two sets of gates. I ignored the pit bull. I ignored the rottweiler that were trying to get me. I whacked on his door. Uh, I'd only been there. I'd only been there about two months. So it must have been about November time. But I think he thought I must have been well hard because I didn't have a coat on. <laughs> um, and I looked at him. He said, what, what, "What do you want?" I said, "Look." I said, "Last night, someone came into school and they nicked all the wood for the for the adventure playground. It's not insured, you know. I know you grandkids come here. So well, what's it going to do with me?" I said, because I noticed you've got CCTV on the back of your house. So he said, all right, all right. Is that it? I said, yeah. So off I went back down, back up to back up into school and things. Uh, and I don't know what happened that night. I don't know what happened. Everything sort of stopped that night. There were no burglaries. There were no dealing. There were no muggings. There were no nothing. And when I came back into school next morning, I remember my caretaker coming up saying, you can't believe this, Chris. It's all back. She said, and it's not all back. It's not just all back. It's back exactly the same place it was took from in exactly the same piles. It hadn't just been launched back over. It's been placed back. And I thought, do you know that that shows impact when it, when you've got to see someone in the community. You know, I could have rang up the police. They could have seen me six weeks later. You know, give me a crime reference number. Brilliant. But I went to someone I thought could help, and he knew who to go to, who to see, who to find out, who to. Well, you know, legend of them and things, and everything got brought back, and then you th- and then you know that the community is sort of backing you and what you're doing and things. So love that, love that story. Brilliant, that's a great story. Um, we're going to have to bring an end to this. We could keep going, but I, there's just been so many things here that I'm sure so many people can t- can take ideas from. And every episode, you know, we have so many great ideas. And if there's just one thing that people have heard from what you've said, Chris, and, and so many inspirational things then they can take that away and, and start to use that, you know, in their own practice, which is great. I've got two final questions for you, and hopefully they're fairly short ones, okay? So the penultimate question is this. National starting. <laughs> uh, is this. Uh, who would you recommend for a future interview? So I want you to try, as best as you can, to try and limit it to a couple of people um, on Twitter or whoever that you would recommend for a future uh, episode on this podcast. 100%. Simon Smith, you know, Simon Smith is my closest friend on Twitter. And when you approach him, you can say, I can say that because he is the total opposite of me. He thinks my school is too loud, music wise, not talking wise, but it's too loud. It's too, you know, but his school is so reflective and it's so calm, but equally as influential, as equally as important to that community. The man is an absolute legend. And when I've had the luxury of being in his school and seeing him do an assembly, he was my inspiration behind me reading. You know, so Simon Smith, love him to bits, absolute fantastic. It'd be great if he'd come after me because it'd be like, 
con- it'd be the contrast, as it were. But the end result is all that matters. Things, and then the second one is a really highly respected head teacher who I look at as being my senior, called Simon Kidwell, uh, a major player in the NAHT, and um, someone who occasionally has to pull me in line for Twitter. He, he can ring me up and he can be as honest as anything with me, and I'll listen because I've got ultimate respect for him. And the reason why Simon Kidwell is because our journey started on our PGCE when we lived in his Auntie Gwen's house, and that's how we met and things. And then because we were pre-mobile phones and things, then we lost touch, and then we just came back together. It must have been six years ago on Twitter. And as I said, that man keeps me in check, and and that man knows when I've overstepped the mark on things, and he won't be afraid to ring me up and say, delete that, do that, and stop being a prat. So ultimate love for everything does there. So. Excellent. Those are fantastic recommendations. And you'll be actually pleased to know that I have just been contacting Simon Smith today and I'm seeing him next Saturday. So uh, that's worked out super well that you've just said that. <laughs> that's brilliant. Okay, so if all goes well and nothing happens in between now and then, you know, that should be uh, should be the next one. So that'd be really good. Um, the final question for you, Chris, uh, and thank you once again for joining us today because it be, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, what for you is the best thing about being in primary education? Children. Children, watching them learn, watching them grow, watching them come in reception. Some of them are in nappies when they come in our reception, not being able to hold a pen. And then they leave being some of the best writers, the best readers and the best mathematicians in the country, which gives them a, a hope and a drive like I did. Uh, my my high school days, there were uh, 800 people in my high school, real hard, really hard high school. You, you knew how to look after yourself in those schools, I tell you, hmm. and things. But out of 800 people in my high school, uh, 12 stayed on for A-levels, you know, 12. And I want these children on this estate not to think they've just got to stay on the estate the rest of their life. These children can achieve, they can go to university, and they can become teachers, deputy heads, maths leaders, head teachers. They can be whatever they want to be. Excellent. But it can't be. But it can't be in silence. <laughs> yes, reflecting uh, some conversations recently on Twitter. There, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been an absolute honour and privilege. And thanks for coming on to Primary Education Voices. My pleasure, Matt. Big love to everyone, and I hope you get something from this rather uh, extended edition. Shall we say? <laughs> Well, there you have it. Another fantastic uh, conversation with another, with another primary education colleague. Uh, Chris Dyson was an absolute joy to sit with uh, for, for almost an hour and a half and have this conversation with. Um, you know, it was packed with great ideas, but great enthusiasm and passion for his role that he has uh, and just the, the change that has been made in the children's lives that he works with in Leeds. And, and before that, of course, as well in his other roles, uh, it's quite clear to see that Chris has a great love for his uh, for his career in primary education, despite beginning um, his journey into primary education just for the holidays, which I think is ironic, uh, considering, you know, a couple of times that's been mentioned on the podcast as something that's probably, you know, not such a great thing. But actually, for Chris, it was the beginning uh, of his journey. And yet it was clearly a role that was made for him. Um, it's, uh, it was great to sit down with him and just see some of the great ideas he had to share with us. His primary three, uh, those of you that know Chris Dyson on, on Twitter will know and not be surprised by the three things that he chose. Times tables is, is something his school is well known for. Uh, he 
and his uh, Funday Friday assemblies where he has the hashtag best seats in the house, uh, which I actually started using a, a few years ago in my own classroom, actually, with some comfy chairs at the back of the room with a little refreshment as well. Uh, and I took complete inspiration from that. Uh, and he only really passed that, mentioned those things in passing. But in terms of the times tables aspects of things, uh, clearly uh, uh, something he wanted to have drilled it, uh, drilled in across the school. And I think this is a really valuable um, primary three, actually, or, you know, item in his primary three, because it's something which obviously as a school leader, it, it, you can have great influence on, particularly if you're a maths lead or you have responsibility over core subjects and progression in the school. Uh, but even if you're a class teacher, just within a classroom. Um, I think it's also something that you can have a great impact on in your class with times tables and just the love of times tables. And it was interesting how he said, it, you know, not necessarily part of the maths lesson, just be drilling those times tables when you've got a five spare five, ten minutes. Uh, it's a very easy thing to do, but you can make it a really fun activity uh, to have a go with. Um, he mentioned uh, Riley's story, which we will um, be sharing when we do get round to writing up the uh, the episodes uh, for the podcast, uh, a link to the video will be there, uh, and it was really inspirational. Um, then he talked about his reading challenge, and he and he was very open with this. And I thought it was interesting that Chris was very open with sharing that you know reading and writing is is not his particular forte, you know his particular passion, but he had a an objective or a goal to try and improve the reading and writing across his school. And as such, he reached out on Twitter, which is something that is becoming quite a theme uh, in our chats. That you know there are areas in our leadership or teaching in math, uh, teaching in primary education where we may not have a particular strength. Well, let's reach out and find someone that that does have that strength and, and pull from their expertise. You know, if you are a classroom teacher, build on your strengths. If you're if you're a leader in the school, build on your strengths uh, and you will be able to take that across the school to a, to a great place and then draw on the other great staff that you have in your school or online on Twitter uh, for those ideas where you're perhaps not as confident or not as passionate about those things. That's particularly fine. That, that's absolutely fine. In primary education, we have so many subjects we have to teach. We can't be a expert and, um, you know, have all the great ideas on everything. And so that's why things like Twitter are such an, an invaluable thing to have. And then, of course, um, his we had a little side discussion about bringing businesses into school and building collaboration with these networks, because all these wonderful things that Chris's school have done wouldn't have been possible without the support of the community and the businesses that have taken part in it. But I loved his advice on how to really build those connections, because building those connections, I think, is the first step. But as you do begin that, that snowball will begin to roll. And it will take time, as you said, but it's something well worth doing for those kids that you teach. And finally, using the carrot instead of the stick. You know, it's fascinating stories about behaviour in his school when he first began. But of course, not using the hard line or, you know, we often uh, hear this uh, phrase zero tolerance, uh, which is used sometimes as well. And I'm sure that in Chris's school, that is not a phrase that is used. It's something that is... You know, they take the time to listen to the children and try and uh, work with those kids and with the parents as well that they work with as well. Uh, just a wonderful um, primary three there that Chris shared with us and some fantastic stories along the way. All that's left for me to say is that if there is a primary colleague on the Twitter sphere or anywhere else that you'd love to hear more from, you can contact me on Twitter at Prime Edu Voices. That's Prime, P-R-I-M-E-D-U Voices. Or me personally at mroberts 90 matt and let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA, support staff, primary leader you'd love to hear more from in a future episode. 
Please subscribe to the podcast. Please share it with your fellow primary practitioners. Get listening. Listen to the episodes that you've not heard so far, because whilst they weren't as long as Chris's, I can definitely assure you of that, they were also as inspirational and as varied with their primary three choices as well. Even better, please leave a review on your podcasting platform. That will really help get the word out and raise the primary education voice. Thanks for joining me to listen to another primary education voice and see you again next time when we meet another inspirational educator.